the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Sean Azaro, and you are listening to the Reaching for Real Life podcast. Dr. Vodi Bakum is the Dean of Theology at African Christian University in Zambia, and he's been a pastor here in the United States in Houston, grew up in Los Angeles, a very interesting person, and he has written a book called Fault Lines, uh, The Social Justice Movement and Evangelicalism's Looming Catastrophe. And it is an excellent, excellent work. Um, you know, it's obviously a bit of a lightning rod because you can't talk about this issue without there being a whole lot of controversy. But it is well-researched, lots of links, lots of notations, lots of quotes. It, it's a great resource. And he was an awesome interview. I, I just can't wait for you guys to hear this. This is a great, great conversation. Well, then let's do it right now. Vody Bachman, Pastor Sean. I'm Let's do it. Real Life Podcast. Well, Vody, thank you for being with us. We sure appreciate you being on our program. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Now, you are the Dean of Theology at the African Christian University in Zambia. Is that correct? Yes, sir. But you didn't grow up there. You, you're American. You grew up in L.A., didn't you? Yeah, we've been here for the last six years. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles, spent most of my life in, in Houston, went to high school there in, in San Antonio. But ended up spending most of my life in Houston. Uh, ended up there in college at Rice University. And got married there while I was in college, and um, started our family there. And really, just spent just spent most of my life there. Yeah, that's awesome. And in the last six years here in Zambia, yeah. We love the San Antonio connection. That's a that's a very cool thing we just found out in kind of pre-show conversation. I want to talk about your book, uh, Fault Lines. It's called Fault Lines: The Social Justice okay. Movement and Evangelicalism's Looming Catastrophe catastrophe and that is that's a big title and you've taken some heat for the book you've gotten a lot of acclaim a lot of people have been blessed and encouraged by your book but you've also taken some heat why write this book what made you say i got to tackle that subject wow um you know there's books that i wanted to write and this is one that i felt like i i I had to write and it's because i really do believe uh or i really did believe that there was a looming catastrophe Um, right I say did believe because I think we're seeing it now. Yeah. We're seeing this incredible division happening in the church, you know, between the, the woke and the non-woke, if you will. And we're seeing um, people begin to think differently about the gospel, to think differently about the mission of the church. Um, we're, we're seeing people who, you know, wouldn't have been theonomists in the past who are, who are now sounding like theonomists and, you know, reading Old Testament law um, and, and taking it as though, you know, there's a one-to-one correlation between America and Israel and the way that we should, you know, a- apply the law. Um, this, this is hugely problematic. Yeah. One of the things, because you're right, I, I, I agree. I think we are in uh, a, a time of, of upheaval that, I don't know that we even expected. Um, you use the phrase, you refer to the social justice movement in your book, 
uh, you refer to it as a religious movement, which I think is a pretty big statement. Why do you say, why do you say that? Yeah, especially this idea of anti-racism. This movement has, you know, its own theology. It has its own cosmology. Um, in the beginning, there, there were white people and white people created whiteness, you know, and right. then they created white privilege and white supremacy and white complicity and, and so on and so forth. Um, it has its own saints, right? Say their names. Um, it, it has its own liturgy. Um, mm. it, it, it has its own law. Um, what it doesn't have is an atonement uh, because mm. there is no atonement in uh, anti-racism. Right. You have to do the work of anti-racism until you die. It's perpetual penance. Um, but they use very religious language. Um, they talk about things like, you know, America's original sin of racism, um, you know, in, in, in uh, Robin DiAngelo's book, um, White Fragility, uh, she refers to righteousness more than half a dozen times in that book. Mm. Um, you know, th- this is a movement with uh, religious overtones and religious implications, which is one of the reasons that it's so attractive for evangelicals. Mm. Who doesn't want to be about justice, right? right, right. Social justice, racial justice. Um, you know, you, you read white fragility and you read about righteousness, right. you know, more than half a dozen times and so on and so forth. You know, Ibram X. Kendi is proposing an amendment to the U.S. Constitution, an anti-racist amendment. And, and, and his premise in the amendment is because of America's original sin of yeah. racism. Um, you know, this this thing is very religious in, yeah. in nature. And I'm not the first one, you know, to point this out. It's been pointed out by a lot of observers and commentators. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great perspective. And, and it is, it's very, uh, it's radical in its approach. I think some of us feel like we're caught kind of late to the party, right? I think a lot of people are shocked by the results or the application of social justice or critical race theory. Um, we see the deep racial division where we had been, spent years of seeing races kind of, I think, come together and seeing racism become uh, lessen. I think uh, we're now seeing it, the, the division uh, deepen, the vilification of whiteness, you know, terms like white privilege, white fragility, white guilt. Uh, they all seem racist to us. And yet this is being told, we're being told this is justice. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons that, one of the ways that that's happening is, there's a redefinition of racism, right? Right. Um, racism is no longer about ethnic pride and prejudice. Racism is no longer a matter of the heart. Racism is now purely structural and systemic. And so one of the things that, you know, the, the, the writers and purveyors of this ideology are doing is they're basically taking the sting out of racism. Mm. And saying, no, 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 you know, being called a racist is it's not a terrible thing, right? Because racists are not bad people. We just live in this white supremacist culture and, you know, the the structures and systems are racist. Therefore, we participate in racism. Um, you know, so it's it's really not a it's really not a big deal or a bad thing to be called a racist. And then on the other side of that, what they do is they have ethnic prejudice against a particular ethnicity, which is white people. Right. So we we redefine racism on the one hand, and then we 
you know, enact racism in its traditional sense on the other. Right. And it's that redefinition. Um, that's what critical race theory, I think, brings. And that's where people, as they look into it, they become more and more disturbed. And one of the things that's happening is we're, we're told, well, you don't really understand critical race theory. That's the new kind of thing. Well, you're misinterpreting it. You misunderstand it. In your book, I love how you go right to the source and you define critical race theory and you define the, the movement. I, I think one of the best parts of the whole book is all the quotes and the sources you cite. That's really helpful, you know, being yeah. able to go and find that, find that out. Um, chapter four on the new religion is a fantastic chapter. Uh, how would you define if, you know, you're here on, on a podcast, let me put you on the spot for, for our listeners. How would you define critical race theory in a succinct way? Yeah. Critical race theory is an ideology that came out of critical legal studies. Um, it's based on the premise that racism is normal. Racism is structural, that it's systemic. Um, It's based on this idea uh, that racism is something that is ingrained in American society. And therefore, if we're going to understand um, American culture, American law, if we're going to understand disparities and so on and so forth, we have to look at them through the lens of these assumptions, assumptions about racism being normal and systemic and structural. Right. And, and so when you see a disparity, the assumption is that that is that disparity is a result of this normal, you know, ubiquitous racism right. in America. Well, one of the best resources I've found is T- Thomas Sowell's uh, uh, discrimination and disparities. He, he deals Absolutely. with, he deals with that as a great kind of just treatment of that. You grew up as a black man in Los Angeles. You lived in, in Houston. You've obviously experienced racism and yet you take great exception with that. I, with the idea of critical race theory and their definition of racism. Uh, why is that? Well, how, how do you approach it differently? Yeah, my, my problem is that what we've done is we've taken racism out of the heart of man. Mm. Um, you know, from, from, from a biblical perspective, we're talking about prejudice and favoritism, right? Right, right, right? From a biblical perspective, we're talking about thinking more highly of ourselves and our group than we ought from a biblical perspective, we're talking about the way, you know, one individual or group looks at, uh, makes assumptions about, right. and then treats, um, a, you know, a, another individual. And what critical race theory does is it takes it out of the realm of the heart. And by the way, that's our realm, right? Yeah. Um, right. As Christians, our realm is the heart. That we, we, the tool that we have is the gospel, Right. right. The tool that we have addresses the problem of the human heart. But what, you know, the critical social justice movement does is it comes along and it says, no, 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 the issue is systems and structures. And so now if Christians are going to be involved, right, with this issue, and we're all concerned about racism and justice and so on and so forth. But now the Christian is told that the way you deal with that is not through the proclamation of the gospel with a view toward the transformation of the hearts of men but through systems and structures that are inherently political and economic. Right. And outside of that realm that we are, are you know, normally operating in. Yeah, no, that's... And that's not to, that's not to say that, you know, that, that the gospel, 
you know, doesn't have any implications for the way that we live uh, in, in other realms. But, you know, the solution to our problems and the source of our problems are in the heart of man. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, what's interesting is the, the biblical per- approach to what happens in the heart of man, because we all have that, that idea that I'm going to put someone else down. Race may be the excuse I use today. Gender may be the excuse, or maybe it's socioeconomics or region of the country. Oh, you fly over people, whatever, whatever you want to do. We find ways to put someone else down and in pride, exalt myself. That's the sin nature. Uh, How would you define if you were to succinctly say, Hey, here's what the Bible says about race and about ethnicity you know so because that's one of the things that that we're told this is just it's in everything i you and i both subscribe to a biblical perspective define for us your biblical perspective on those things well from a biblical perspective you know in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth right Right. And, and in the beginning you know god created man in his own image and in his own likeness right um and he created a man and all men come from that man, Adam. There is but one race of men. Right. Um, You could argue, you know, technically that there's the race of the first Adam and the race of the last Adam, right? Right. Um, You know, the federal headship of of Adam and the federal headship of Christ. Um, But ultimately, the, the idea of race from a biblical perspective is that we are of one race, right? We, we, we are, we are of Adam's race. Right. Um, however, there are many ethnicities. You know, we're told in the Great Commission, you know, to, to take the gospel to patata ethne. Um, and that word, you know, ethne, ethnos, ethnic. Right. Um, you know, that's where we get our, our, our word for ethnicities from. There are many different ethnicities, um, you know, since Babel, you know, sure. um, separated by languages and, you know, spread across the world as, as, as God wanted us to, um, and different nations of men, just like, you know, God intended. However, as far as race goes, we are all of the same stock. And it's very important to understand that from that biblical perspective, mm. also from the perspective of our ethnicities and from other things that divide us. Um, it's interesting that one of the one of the key components of critical race theory is intersectionality, right? right? Um, and, and the idea that you know we're all comprised of you know these different groups to which we belong, these various you know uh, oppressed groups that, to which we belong. And so you know you're you're a, a woman, and there's that oppression, and then you're a black woman, there's that intersection of oppression, and then you're you know whatever, right? But from a biblical perspective, even when we look at those things, we look at in Galatians 3, you know, there's there's no more Jew or Greek. Right. There's no more male or female, slave or free, right? We, we, we Now, Paul says, we don't recognize one another according to the flesh. We also see in Ephesians chapter 2 that Christ, in his work on the cross, not only does he reconcile us vertically with God, but he reconciles us horizontally with one another. Mm. And he deals with the Jew-Gentile divide, which is an actual divide established by God. So how much more does he deal with other divides that men have established? Right. So I think from a biblical perspective, it's very important that you know we understand both of those things, that there is but one race. Um, within that one race, there are various... Uh, ethnicities right to the glory of God and the beauty of the cross is that it reconciles 
across all yeah. of those yeah. different lines. And then across is what reconciles us, not critical race theory, intersectionality, not critical social justice movement, so on and so forth. It's the cross that reconciles us. Yeah. And not by our work, but by what Christ has accomplished. Mm. I'm Sean Azaro, and we're talking with Vodi Bakum. His book is a bestseller. It's called Fault Lines, and you can find that at Amazon.com. Vodi, I love when you talk about, you know, that Galatians passage where he says, we are all one in Christ, you know, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. That's, I think, the biggest rub for people. It's like in the name of anti-racism and in the name of critical race theory, it feels like rather than unity, which is what we've been striving for for the last 40 years, it's like now all of a sudden everything is about division. Everything is about dividing people. You talk in about four tenets of critical race theory. Can you just talk about those briefly for us, so for our listeners, so we understand the four kind of primary tenets? Yeah, that 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 first tenet is the idea that racism is normal, right? Um, and from a theological perspective, you can understand this as kind of the doctrine of original sin, right? Um, you know, this is why you get things like the 1619 Project and so on and so forth, that racism is normal, it's ubiquitous. The second principle is a principle called interest convergence. And interest convergence is the idea um, that white people benefit mm. from racism and that they won't undo racism um, unless it's in their interest, unless their interests uh, converge with the interests of people of color. Um, the third uh, principle is this principle of anti-liberalism. Um, and again, we use liberal in, in, in a different way right. than, than, you know, when we talk about anti-liberalism, we're talking about, um, you know, sort of scientific liberalism, um, you know, the, 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 the liberal order and um, enlightenment rationality and right. objective truth and meritocracy and so on and so forth. Um, that's the third tenet. Um, the, the idea there is that those things are part of this, you know, hegemonic uh, ideology that the oppressor uses mm. uh, in order to oppress, right? And so they reject they reject those those ideas of, of the liberal order, which is crazy. Um, and then the last idea is the idea that knowledge is socially constructed. Um, and that, in fact, there are knowledges, plural, um, and that the way that we access this knowledge or, or, or forward this knowledge is through narrative or storytelling, which is why you hear all the time, you know, we have to elevate minority voices. Right, right, right. Right. This is why this is why people are saying, you know, for every white theologian you read, you need to read a black theologian. Right. For every male voice you listen to, you need to listen to a female voice, because the idea is that there are various ways of knowing, right? There are various knowledges and none of those are necessarily superior to the other um, right. unless, you know, perhaps the, 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 the oppressed voice is superior to the voice of right. the oppressor. It's morally right. superior to the voice of the oppressor. So those are the four main tenets right. of critical race theory. What's fascinating is some of these things almost sound, it's like little pieces of it sound good. It's like, oh yeah, well, who wouldn't yeah. th- who wouldn't think that's that's good policy or good sense? It's it's the application of them, and it's the bigger underlying truths that you all of a sudden realize uh, it's unsustainable. <laughs> it's out of touch with yeah. reality, and so you can't actually live that out. Yeah, there's a reason. Again, there's a reason that people are being drawn to it. Yeah, we we never encounter just whole lies. 
Right. Um, those things don't get anywhere. The lies right. that get somewhere um, are, are the lies that, as one apologist used to say, you know, it's the, it's, it's the skin of the truth wrapped around a lie. Mm. You know, those mm. are the ones that, those are the ones that get somewhere. Yeah. Well, you've taken exception, I think, with parts of the body of Christ that you feel have, have in an effort, and I, I don't even want to ascribe motive, but I think largely in an effort to, to say we're supportive, we're allies, and you know, you know, we want justice too. Yeah. They've adopted yeah. some of this language, and they've adopted some of these things, and you've, you've said that's a mistake. Yeah, it is. And, and I look at people in, in various categories, you know, and I do, I, I, I quote people and cite people in the book. And, but I acknowledge the fact that there are some people who are into this, they've adopted this ideology, mm. and they're arguing from and for this ideology, um, that, that they're very few. There are other people who haven't adopted the ideology, but they, they're using the terminology. And for whatever reason, um, you know, they're, they're, they're sensitive to it. Right. And right. They, you know, tend in that direction. There are other people who um, are, are really ignorant of the ideology, um, but they have compassion and they're trying to be um, compassionate. Um, right. And so what I try to do is demonstrate, you know, sort of what that, what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's excellent. So how would you say, you know, I guess one final question. If you're talking to pastors and leaders, how should the church respond? How, how should Christians respond in a, in a helpful way for, in your understanding? Yeah, I think in the book, you know, really going to Paul's admonition in Second Corinthians 10, um, you know, we destroy arguments and every right. lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. I think that's number one. We have to do that. And then we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And, and what some people want to do is they want to do one of those without the other. They want to say, let's, let's just take every thought captive, right? Let's, let's learn to think biblically about these issues. But don't miss what Paul says. Mm. We destroy arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. Yeah. And the critical social justice movement is filled with arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. And we need to address them. We need to address them head on. We need to destroy these arguments um, as well as taking thoughts captive so yeah. that when we're pursuing justice, we're doing it from a biblical perspective and not doing more harm than good. Yeah, no, that is such a good perspective. And it's one that is really out of favor. It's almost like we've been trained that to reach lost people, we have to always be the nicest. And being the nicest means always going along. Whereas I, I think the skill of, and that's a great scriptural reference, the skill of destroying those, those arguments and standing against them with love, with tr- speaking the truth in love, but clearly and unapologetically speaking the truth. That is a, that's a powerful point, but it's one that I think a lot of the church is almost afraid to engage in. Yeah. Uh, I've often said there's an 11th commandment. Thou shalt be nice. And most of us don't believe the other 10. <laughs> That's a great point. I'm going to use that because <laughs> it's true. And, and you, you stop and think about the things Jesus said. You know, Peter's trying to get gets a little ahead of himself, tries to correct Jesus a little bit. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Je- Jesus yeah. didn't mince words when he needed to. Yeah, you brood of vipers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You whitewashed sepulchers. <laughs> Well, again, I'm, I'm talking with Vodi Bakum, Dr. Bakum. Thank you so much. What a great conversation. It's been my pleasure.
The book is called Fault Lines. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it other places. It really is an excellent resource. I recommend you check it out. Thanks for all the work you did on this, Dr. Bauckham, and I uh, hope we can do it again so- soon sometime. Absolutely. Sounds good to me. God bless. Bless you, brother. Opinion raised against the knowledge of God. I think that's number one. We have to do that. And then we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And, and what some people want to do is they want to do one of those without the other. They want to say, let's, let's just take every thought captive, right? Let's, let's learn to think biblically about these issues. But don't miss what Paul says. Mm. We destroy arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. Yeah. And the critical social justice movement is filled with arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. And we need to address them. We need to address them head on. We need to destroy these arguments um, as well as taking thoughts captive so yeah. that when we're pursuing justice, we're doing it from a biblical perspective and not doing more harm than good. Yeah, no, that is such a good perspective. And it's one that is really out of favor. It's almost like we've been trained that to reach lost people, we have to always be the nicest. And being the nicest means always going along. Whereas I I think the skill of, and that's a great scriptural reference, the skill of destroying those those arguments and standing against them with love, with speaking the truth in love, but clearly and unapologetically speaking the truth. That is a, that's a powerful point, but it's one that I think a lot of the church is almost afraid to engage in. Yeah. Uh, I've often said there's an 11th commandment. Thou shalt be nice. And most <laughs> of us don't believe the other 10. <laughs> that's a great point. I'm going to use that because <laughs> it's true. And, and you, you stop and think about the things Jesus said, you know, Peter's trying to get, gets a little ahead of himself, tries to correct Jesus a little bit. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Je- Jesus yeah. didn't mince words when he needed to. Yeah. You brood of vipers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You whitewashed sepulchers. <laughs> well, again, I'm, I'm talking with Vodi Bakum. Dr. Bakum, thank you so much. What a great conversation. It's been my pleasure. The book is called Fault Lines. You can get it on Amazon. You can get other places. It really is an excellent resource. I recommend you check it out. Thanks for all the work you did on this, Dr. Bauckham, and I uh, hope we can do it again so- soon sometime. Absolutely. Sounds good to me. God bless. Bless you, brother.